Oh, I'm looking. Do I dump it? Do I throw the drift? Nothing. Three, two, one. Let's go. Work, 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 work. Welcome to the Dig Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Afal Martinez. I'm in St. Louis, Missouri at John Burroughs High School with head coach Corey Frazier. Uh, Corey Frazier is in his 20th season with 315 career wins. He also has two state titles at his previous high school in 2008 and 2009. Corey does a lot of skill development, play development within the city of St. Louis. Along with that, not only coaching high school, he's also the head 17U coach of a of Brad Beal Elite and is involved with USA Basketball minicamps as well. Coach, I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, I want to jump right into uh, you had a successful playing career, played at a high level, and then played overseas a little bit as well. Now looking back on now that you're in the coaching thing full-blown, this is what you do. You also do the skill development side as well. How do you look back and see how your playing career shaped you of what your process as a coach, maybe what you teach, maybe your mindset, and just like how you deal with different types of players? Um, I would say for me, um, the biggest thing was um, playing in high school. I, I will go back to that and even a little bit step further before playing in high Charleston, school, right? in Charleston High School. I mm-hmm. um, always knew I wanted to play for the Blue Jays. Uh, traditionally, my family played, but in that city, the rich tradition of basketball um, was, you know, winning state championships, what it takes to win state championships. And the the development piece was key because my uncle Ricky played for the University of Missouri and he was always instrumental in, in my development, working with my left hand, working with my right hand, shooting my right hand, shooting my left hand. Um, but also taking us out of Charleston, taking us to different areas to play mm-hmm. basketball so we wasn't just confined with beating each other up because that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would go to Sykeston, Cairo, Cape Girardeau, Portageville. We'll go play pickup games with those guys. So that started the development and the mindset of um, getting out of your comfort zone, which, you know, that term wasn't thrown around then, but it was more of let's go compete. Mm-hmm. Um, let's take our games over to different areas and let's see where we're at. And then we come back home and we work on them. There's things that we picked up. We didn't have YouTube or anything, so we picked that stuff up. But um, my molding then went to high school with, with Coach McFerrin, who's a legend in the Boot Hill, and won so many state championships with Charleston. Um, and then leaving there, playing for um, Charlie Sponauer, which was two def- defensive-minded coaches. Sorry. So, yeah, at St. Louis University. So we um, – they really were my two biggest mentors in terms of me going into coaching high school. And I remember when I first told um, McFerrin, and I was like, hey, thinking about coaching high school basketball, and his statement was to be like, hey, remember how you was as a player. You want to attract that. You want to have that development. So you got to work just as hard to get people to buy into what you want to teach them. But you also got to exemplify exactly what you're teaching. So um, he and Spoonhour were were big with that. I remember Coach Spoonhour always say, hey, be you, be yourself. Um, but don't bend. Always stay true to, to, you know, what it is you're trying to teach. But um, make sure the kids are held accountable for every single thing they do on the basketball court. So that's where my molding starts. Yeah, and just to back up just a bit, uh, the Boot Hill in the state of Missouri is it's some smaller schools. There's also some class four, mostly class four, but three, two, and it's a grind. I'm talking you got I mean it's pick you up full court. It's it's a it's a it's a grind. That's exactly what it is. Um it's funny you say that about don't bending. I was listening to uh Eric Spolstra talk this morning. You know, he's a Pat Riley 
he was an assistant for Pat and also Doc Rivers was. And they were talking about, you know, hey, when you started coaching, did you find yourself like trying to be like Pat? And Eric was like, at first, yeah. But then I realized I had to kind of find someone else to mentor me like because he was with Jeff Van Gunny Stam. He's like, I was more towards that way. Now, you've been in St. Louis coaching for a while now, you know, two decades. How have you seen the St. Louis high school basketball game change regards to top to bottom, team to team? I mean, it's hard to tell. I mean, I think you have your powerhouse within the city, but every year someone else can make that run to that Final Four because there's always, I know on the Class 5 side, you know, Hazelwood Central and Chaminade would always play. It's like, well, they both should be in the Final Four, but they had to play each other. How have you seen the game change regards to players, coaches, um, since your tenure in St. Louis? Um, I would say for me coming into it when I when I took over at Maplewood, um, it's funny you say you wanted to be like a certain coach with Pat Rowley and Eric Spolstra. I wanted to be like McFerrin, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't want to be as aggressive um, because he was more of a, a military guy, so, you know, he's – that was his background, but mm-hmm. I wanted to give the spoon out. So I kind of mixed the two and intertwined the two with my approach. Spoon was really big with developing the guards offensively, um, but defense was still there. So just finding, you know, different nuances in coaching. So I wanted to bring that aggressive style of defense, but give different dynamics of the defensive effort um, to basketball. And then I think that year we kind of maple. They had this Maplewood rule. I remember going to a coach's meeting. They had this Maplewood rule of they call it hand checking. Well, for me, where I'm from, <laughs> that's, that's part. That's part of the you know the basketball game. You got to play through the contact. And I don't know everybody won't agree with that, but um, the the older you get, the more physical the game gets. So I think we cannot get in the way of that. So the game is really evolving um, to more of an offensive side of the game because of skill development now. So. From when I started coaching to just, you know, the aggressive, you know, get out here and guard and defend. Everybody wants to defend and get steals and layups. Now the game is kind of converting more to the offensive side, you know, of basketball. I know me personally, I'm, I'm looking more on the X's and O's because of where I've gone through and, and, and coaching AAU basketball, coaching high school basketball, doing with USA. So now I'm looking at both sides of the ball versus just mm-hmm. one side. But the game in St. Louis has definitely evolved because I think – offensively with the skill training guys are buying more into hey i can become a pro if i do xyz let me get up and let me work out let me go mm-hmm. find my resources or any resource to to get me to that next level so i think the game is really evolving because everybody now feels like they can be a pro right that's a good point i mean i'm not originally from here i'm hours south of here but it's almost like david lee was a little bit further back but it was like brad comes out and it's not it's not a coincidence. Jason comes right after him. Then Ben. Every five years. That's yeah. What it was. So it was like, but that creates ignition. You know, the kids see him on TV and they're like, oh, I could do something like that. And for smaller areas, you know, it just takes one kid to play on TV, come back home after four years and be a pro, and he's working out, and that creates that ignition. Um, now with the game changing, as a high school coach, not as on the skill side so much, regards to independently, how have you seen your practices change? because of the game changing. Like you said, I do think some of the rules of the game have changed and made it more uh, beneficial for the offense. And, shoot, it's harder to defend now. With the rules and the fact of uh, we had Coach Dinkins on here uh, last week, and he was just talking about like a few years or five, ten years ago, if you had two ball handlers, I could take it out of their hands and make somebody else play. Whereas now, player three and four and five can all make decisions. So how has your practice plan changed from then to maybe now? Um, I am more now to where 
I used to say, hey, the big's down here, guard's down here. Mm-hmm. And you were a guard from positions one and two. If you was a three, four, and five, you were going to the mm-hmm. other end. You're going to learn how to post up. You're going to do everything that the post guys do. Um, now I'm breaking it down per position, point guards. But I make everybody go through ball handling. Like, that is a uh, – I think it's a lost arc in the game. And if you haven't watched the game evolve, then you're going to miss out. But if you got a five-man, put the ball on the floor, you're hard to guard. And I, I look at the dynamics of what I have here at Burroughs, um, not to give everything away, but I like the fact that this year both my bigs can actually step out and shoot it, and mm-hmm. they're, I'm comfortable with both of them making a move to the mm-hmm. basket because of the simple fact they've worked on it and I've seen it, and, and I, I see the game evolve into that. So it makes it a lot you know, harder for us. But I think my mindset has changed to don't put them in a box. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's let them work out. And because we don't know if he's only 6'5 in class 3A, he's a post guy. But next level, he's a wing guy. So mm-hmm. let's let's start to evolve our players to where they're actually going to play versus, you know, putting them in a the box. So we really expanded and ball handling has to go down. We have to make sure everybody's able to shoot the basketball, um, but also make sure our point guards really understand how to run a team. Two guards, how to fill slots, running down the floor, finding your corners, whatever it may be in terms of our offense. Slashers, if you're a slasher, you got to rebound offensive defense. You really have to go get it out the mud, as they would say. Um, my fours and fives, I want my fours to step out. I said pick and pop threes, but know when you got mismatches, where to go post. And I want my five guy to be able to to face the basket. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't want you getting the ball and, you know, turning the basket. So, really, we're playing now with two fours and, and my one, two, and three. All Anyone can bring the ball up anytime. So, I don't want to say it's a – Point guard, shooting guard, mm-hmm. a wing, I got my guards. I'll call them all. All you guys are wings. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody can play everywhere. It's just about becoming a better basketball player. And I I hate when I have to hear, like, a young kid, you know, he's fifth, sixth, seventh. He's like, I'm a shooting guard. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, like, just be right, a, right, a, right. a great uh, perimeter player. Right, right, better. and just expand. Um, now I want to hop into strictly player development segment. Uh, when it comes, we're talking high school level kid that he wants to maximize his high school career, and then hopefully after that it'll take care of itself. What are you know a three or four skill type of things that you would say a high school player must have if he's going to compete and be a high level varsity player? Um, I would say, if he, first of all, putting it on the floor that is like my biggest thing. I want all my players um, to be able to put the ball on the floor. Uh, second is I say you, you have to have the mindset to buy in. Um, be coachable mm-hmm. um, because it's bigger than just the skill on the court. You have a lot of guys who have high skill, but, you know, they get it from somebody, parents mostly, where that mindset is, you know, I'm going to do what my parents say and not do it with the coach. So that buy-in is big right there. And understand um, the dis- difference between an elite guy and being a prospect. Um, elite guys come in, you don't have to ask them to get warmed up and do those things. Um they're already ready or they're asking the coach before, hey, what are we doing today? I want to get prepared. They, they are proactive in terms of what they're doing. And you've got your prospects who show up maybe late, mm-hmm. uh, come in uh, and they want to go right to the three point line. They don't have a, a, a necessary warm up routine. All my guys, when they come in the gym, you know, you warm up when I blow that whistle or the horn blows because I don't think I've worn a whistle in practice in the last 10 years because I want my kids to play to the whistle blows. Um, they come in and they have a routine every single day. When, when we hit that horn for time to start ticking with the 10 minutes, we know we're stretching. We, we have a routine. So I just think ball handling, 
the buy-in and understanding what your purpose is when you walk in the gym is key. And I think that sets apart from a regular high school than it does for, you know, an elite level high school. And we want to build an elite um, presence here. So that's we, we get our guys to think about the next level versus what we're doing necessarily at the high school. So right. it's about the next level. It's uh, I think it's a good point where it's I say three things and only one of those was purely a skill. Yes. One was character. Mm-hmm. One was a skill. Mm-hmm. And the other was not detailed towards skill either. You know, that was, you know, it's like buying into the mundane and that mindset. And I, it, I think that's so valuable. I think that uh, the prospect and elite deal, that's an interesting way to look at it. You know, you have the elite kids. They, they're so what I call interdependent. Right. They're not, hey, you need to you do this. You know, like, no, they walk in, they have the mindset, they know what they want to get done. Well, I look at it is if I have to motivate you every single day, to to be the player that you say you want to be that you want to be then you don't want to be that player that's just my mindset so um i I talk about you know one of my players with 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 caleb love caleb love will call me and be like hey coach i want to get in the gym i want to work on this is this and i'll always ask him why i don't want you to do it just because you saw dame lillard do it make it make sense to me because now i get you to thinking about who you are as a player and let's start to develop that now i see that you are truly a student of the game and you're motivated to get better now it challenges me as a trainer and as a coach to go back and say all right caleb was looking at this let me make this make sense for him let's mm-hmm. let let us get on the same page so we're working towards the same goal so I shouldn't have to motivate you to get in the gym for you to get better. That's got to come from you. And I will show up when you call me. Right. Just being that, having that intrinsic motivation. Cause you know, I mean, obviously we're a little bit older now, probably even better mindset than we had as a player, but you know, can you imagine a kid calling you and then you show up 20 minutes late or you're not prepared for the workout. You got them doing stuff that they don't need to be working on. Um, now let's, let's talk about, uh, finishing at the rim. Mm -hmm. Um, for instance, I'll just give you a, a scenario here. You have a player that really struggles at the rim. Um, let's just say they have just the basic package of right-hand layup, left-hand layup, maybe a two-foot gather at the rim on each side. Is there a certain system or criteria that you go through, you evaluate a kid and go through to decide what finishing tactics to give to him? Because, I mean, there's so many ways to finish at the rim, but it's almost too much is too little in finding out what they need at the moment and, and you could talk about that a little bit um i would say it starts back to and you're gonna hear me say this a lot um handling the ball to get to the rim first of all is key a lot of guys attack the basket but they they're, they're taking light dribbles you got to be aggressive with your dribble number one elbow through it uh, got to push all the way through it and you know it's almost bracing for 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 impact you either gonna finish through over somebody or you're gonna finish around regardless that hard footwork of that stepping through that hard pound, let me get myself ready, whether it's two feet or one feet. I just feel like you have to do that. Second, the third thing is um, picking it up with your eyes. I watch a lot of guys go down with their head down, and they take their last dribble, their head is still down. Nobody ever picks the rim up with their eyes. So um, those three things I feel like are, are essential for a person finishing at the rim. Whether you are an aggressive guy, you like to feel contact no matter what, Attacking the ball, handling the ball more aggressively, pounding your feet through your steps and finishing through the basket, but also your last dribble. Pick it up. Pick it up with your eyes. Pick the rim, pick the rim up with your eyes. Yeah, I, I always personally say don't have your chin in your chest Facts. on the rim. 
and you know the ball has energy and if you'll slam that thing it'll help you get up you know like it's just like shooting a pull-up everybody knows the pull-up like a hard bounce before you shoot it yes but that's on finishing too that'll help you um get up off the floor uh let's talk about uh that individual and group workout balance um what do you see when is a good time for a player to solely come in individually is there a time in the year is there something they're going through personally as a player and then when is it time for them to like start incorporating with other players in a workout because i see maybe it's more on the parent side and maybe even at the high level i've had nba guys that only want to work out by themselves and yes to a degree it's, it's beneficial for sure but in your experience when do you think it's a good time individually and then when is a good time to be in a group um for for me I always like to see everybody in a group first because in a group, I get to see how you react to competition. Um, and what we create when, when, in my training segment, segments are, we like for you to compete. So if I, if I got this guy, and this, and this is all one on oh, I got this guy who's attacking a basket hard, I'm pushing you the same thing. I always say steal the reps. If he's going aggressive, you should go just as aggressive as mm-hmm. he is. But it depends on the player. Some players grasp seeing it and they might get it done fast some players relate better when they're not bought with the, when they're with someone else than they do without someone else so it all depends on the player um but there's some kids who who've got it and they can be in a group and it slows them down in terms of thinking but i, I always try to push kids to where whatever i'm teaching them it becomes a habit and once they pick up that habit then i'll decide like hey it's time for me to get you by yourself so we can really work um, versus keeping you in a group where nah, you, you, you're past that. So it all depends on the player. Um, but then there's, like I said, I like the competition in a group. I do some NBA-level guys. If I might bring in a point guard with a wing just because I can get more activity in terms of, you know, the pin down, like the, like the point guard to, you know, work on his time and hitting guys off the pin down. So there are so many different dynamics um, that you do. So um, it all depends on the player, though, I would say. Yeah, you see some players that are by themselves, and it's just like, eh, you know. And then they get it done, (laughs) right? And then you get them in an environment where they have to compete. You know, either if there's a higher environment, you either adapt or you roll over, and you'll find that uh, out uh, very quickly. My thoughts on the group is, if you have a player that has a real deficiency in their game, so let's the one that pops on mind is like just shooting mechanics. I can't put them in a group with that bad deficiency and just getting more bad reps. Mm -hmm. So for me, like if I have someone that's, you know, maybe we got a pinky sliding off on the jumper and we're missing right a ton as a right-hand shooter, let come and see me another time and let's fine tune that. So then when you come in the group, you're not just getting bad reps, even though we're working on something off the bounce. Uh, Now let's go into decision-making regards into workouts. Uh, It's, I think uh, at times for all of us, I think we've all struggled with incorporating it more. We should incorporate it more instead of being so uh, what I'd say is the, the coach dictating the workout so much. Like it's all based on doing the rep perfect when it's mm-hmm. into sometimes not perfect, right. but it, it gets, it gets done when you actually play in a game. Um, when you get into your decision-making, how are you incorporating that into workouts? Mm-hmm. Is it more, uh, disadvantage where you know maybe I'm on the left wing I have a defender on my left hip and I go downhill to the middle of the floor and there's an offensive player in the slot weak side corner and we're playing three on two disadvantage is it more straight up three on three two on two but then 
maybe we play out a wing ball screen and they can't switch it, so it should be a disadvantage, should be three on two at some point. How do you incorporate that, whether it's in a high school level player or an even NBA player? Um, no matter what level, we are always – we're going to teach a skill first. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I might I, – I'll teach a skill and then I teach, teach one counter, whatever it may be. Um, and we're going to do that one-on-oh. And I add a defender. And spe- I like to go to dealing with, with my post guys. Uh, a lot of times they get the ball and they don't understand spacing. So they might catch in the mid post. Hurry. You know, they get the ball and they, they're not even thinking about, all right, a guard just passed me the ball. Is he spacing out? Is he cutting or whatever? So we try to paint all that picture for me. Let, let's, here's a scenario. Um, when you face up, you see your defender's chest. So we talk about all those things. When do you do certain moves? Mm-hmm. Um, we even went to the point of studying the opponent, say, say I'm playing against you. You're, you're an aggressive defender. I know tonight I got to focus on this. So we try to tailor our workouts to, all right, say we're playing – Sykeston, we're playing this guy. Their post guy is real aggressive. He's going to play up on you, so you know you can't do this. So we try to paint the picture for him, but we also try to add different pieces. I might add three or four different trainers on the court with me and say, okay, you're playing weak side slot. You're in a weak side corner. I want you to pin down, and we're going to work on, you know, with the pin down and cutting back door. So we'll, we'll work on passing. So we'll work on every possible dynamic you're going to do out of that one move. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start building from there. So I, I just think that sometimes we teach guys, but we don't give them a, enough court time where you can actually see this develop in the game. Because you can train, train, train. You go watch him play. You see the kid doing what he was doing before he got to you. Mm-hmm. So how do you fix that? Um, start putting more game-like situations in the training and, and make the kids go through those scenarios. And you keep working. Whatever move that is, you might work it two or three days in a row. We're not going to move on until I feel like, okay, you've got it. So – that's just my approach to it yeah incorporating the skill portion before the play portion you know it's like all right we're gonna play out a wide pin down he doesn't know how to play out a wide pin right (laughs) or even worse he he tactically he's not a very good shooter so maybe he's just a well what i call a stampede catch he's running through the catches and getting downhill where he's not shooting any jump shots um now you just mentioned new skill when it comes to incorporating a new skill Mm -hmm. Um, how do you approach that? What time of the year? I think that's a big point. If you could uh, say like some details regards to when's a good time to incorporate a new skill. Now, during the year for me, it's more adjustment based. It's not a brand new skill. It's all right. We have this skill, but let's fine tune it or make a little bit of adjustment to it. When it comes to a new skill, how do you incorporate one? Is there a you know a systematic approach to it for you? I, I feel like there's for me to to really learn a new skill. Um, just as we were talking about the post position and, and and they're learning the aspects through that one or two moves I gave them. Um, I'm not going to give them anything else, especially during the season, nothing else new. They will get nothing else new from me. We'll fine-tune some things, and, and you know, if they're struggling offensively, let's go look at your offense, go look at where your touches are coming from, and let's fix that. But in terms of, all right, let's work on a stunt crossover or something crazy like that in the middle of the season. Nope makes zero sense to do because now you're going to mess that player up. He's going to come out here trying something that he he's not um, – that he hasn't worked on long enough. It takes at least two months for me to really get somebody to even come close to developing a skill. So at least, you know, I would say right now season starts in November. There's no way in the world I'm teaching you a new skill. We're going, we're going to go into this the way we are now. If we're working on your shot, whatever it comes to probably – 
October one, then we you know we're gonna stay with that and just work on finishing that out. But I wouldn't say anything after two months. Um, two months. If I don't have two months to teach you before season, you're not gonna learn it. We're just gonna scratch that, and we'll see you in March or May and or March or April, and then we'll start pick up there. But we will continue to fine tune what we worked on. When it comes to a new skill, you don't want to the first time you do a you let me back up. You get a new skill. The first time you do, you don't want to be in a live game. No, you want to be in pickup. A small side of game, three on three, two on two, one on one. That's when you want to try to incorporate. You give a kid a new in December, and then you expect him after Christmas break to come in there and perfect that. Like the that's coach, just the coach is gonna be like, where the hell? Are you? Uh, you yeah, know, you that? yeah. That's just uh, not necessarily a, a beneficial thing for the player or the coach or the program. Uh, we're gonna hop out of player development and talk a little bit about spacing and the pace, which to a degree your spacing creates your pace. Uh, within your high school team or uh, independently working with players, how do you incorporate the spacing aspect? Is it watching it on film? Is it even simply as simple as we had talked about off air? Uh, coach had just been off the East Coast with uh, at some Power 5 programs, ACC, and I was at Memphis at Penny's last week, and I was at, uh, I guess I was at UIC in Chicago like a month ago, and multiple programs, they have X's on the floor where they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're off the three-point They're not what I call gassing the three-point right. line. Yes, there's time for that. But on ball rotations from, you know, maybe the top of the key to the wing, mm-hmm. their players aren't gassing the line at the wing. Right. They're off the line, makes that ho- close out a little bit tougher, more space on the drive. So how do you incorporate spacing when it comes to workouts or even like a high school scene? Um, we One of our offenses we run here, which has been very hard stopping, we run it at USA Basketball, is our um, – European ball screen offense, which is continuous ball screens, but you, you allow your players to play in pick and roll, but the spacing is always key. Um, you're clearing out a side. You got your weak side guard who's almost at the volleyball line, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And I didn't get it and understand it on at first. Wing. Yes, on the opposite. We just say on the slot. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're playing on the left side, two guys left, and you got three guys right. Um, and then and the other guys farming almost in the very, very corner of the court, but even with the basket where they can still catch and shoot. Um the spacing forces defense to help um, where you're actually stepping into screen. So I, I didn't understand it at first. Like, man, he's way out of play. He's never going to be able to step into a shot. But I get it now because you really want to exaggerate the space but also force that defense to get in help. Pressure. And now you look at how skill comes into that because if I'm coming off a ball screen and you don't help, I got to lay up. Um, if you're too close to the man, he's spaced out and he's – what three four three feet off the um, three point line? You're, there's no way anywhere you're gonna recover space. But if you're inside the the you know inside the free throw lane and, and at the elbows, I can turn that corner and absorb you as much as I can. I'm gonna free my guy up for a shot. So I think the spacing is always good when you exaggerate a little bit more. Um, but it, it depends on who you have and your personnel too as well. So you can do all the space that you want to, but if if we can't shoot the ball. Teams are going to do what Virginia do, pack line. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're just going to take away all the penetration. We're going to force you to shoot three. So it depends on um, your team and efforts. But spacing is key no matter what. I think offensively, um, depending on the offense you're running, your spacing has got to be key because, you know, you don't want the whole old system of one person can guard two people. So I think that is the other key. But you got to teach your guys why you're spacing out. I hate – this is my biggest pet peeve in, in high school basketball – I see a play. Oh, we're gonna run that, but you don't have the personnel for that. Right now, like running one for a high offense, 
you need two legit bigs who can make plays, who can finish at the basket, who can play with the back to the basket, who set good screens, who know how to roll. Like, you have to be legit. You can't run a 1-4 hot offense when you don't have – Cerebral players. I mean, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So, that's, that's just my take on it. Yeah, I think uh, the spacing – Regards to exaggerating it, <clears throat> I tell my players, ball in the air, feet in the air. Yes. When it comes to catching that basketball, and it just creates so much momentum. Right. Utah Jazz, the ones that pop in my mind how well they did it. Quinn Snyder was like one of the first ones to like really have, because he was a, he was the head coach of Mizzou. Right, right. And then he left Mizzou, and he actually joined Messina, Sheska. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a EuroLeague team, and won a title there, and then came back to the States, um, and now is in the NBA. I want to transition to uh, Brad Beal Elite. So uh, Coach Frazier is the head 17U of Brad Beal Elite, one of the best AAU programs in the country. And St. Louis, it's a big city, but it's not Chicago, New York, L.A. So it's not like we have 10 million people here. But for the magnitude of the uh, the pub they've had, they've done very well. They've had you know Jason Tatum's play for him, Brad Beal, and now your two players that I pop in my mind are – Caleb Love, who just went on his official North Carolina. Cameron Fletcher, who just signed to Kentucky. Um, I think there's a lot of negativity around AAU. Everybody that sees it thinks, oh, there's bad things. Like There's obviously a lot of violation stuff that's going on with the high majors. But I think there's a lot of good, too, regards to within AAU. Can you just discuss like what you've seen over your tenure of all the positive things that you've seen happen from player to coach to even parent, um, instead of just being focused on the negative. Man, you're going to get me in trouble for this. But um, I, I've been openly um, talking about the AAU scene. And, you know, they, the NCAA is where, where a lot of it starts, is, is they're trying to separate the high school coach and the AAU coach. Well, I, I'm, I'm in both sides. I get both, um, I get both arguments. As a high school coach, this is what I always say. If you're not, as a high school, willing to sacrifice your summers and give up your summers to follow your kids and, and you're going to put them in a situation or put them on a platform where they can truly get recruited, then let the AU coaches do their things. Don't go out and put them on a, a, a platform for you to selfishly help yourself. And that's where I think the line is drawn with some high school coaches because they want it for them, for their high school, so I can win a title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not easy to win a title either. But I just feel like that line has to be drawn where you say, okay, let my kids go play with somebody else. Let them put them on a platform. Our school looks good when our kids get recruited at a high level. There's, I look at, at, at the um, situation with the Otto Porter um, down at, at Southeast Missouri in at Scott County Central. You know, he, he didn't play a lot of high school basketball, but, hell, he's 6'9", rebound, one of the top rebounds in the shoot country, it. shoot the ball, they're going to find a kid like him. Now, imagine him playing with Brad Beal and, and a team that we had that almost won with Ben Malcolmore. You put those three on the team, you're talking about a whole different level of recruiting. Um, you know, it, it changes the game of, of what you're doing. But for me, um, the good in AAU – I don't know about every other level in terms of um, the Adidas circuit, Under Armour, but I know it on our Nike circuit, coaches have to coach. There's no just throw teams out there. There, there are teams that have that thrown just a bunch of talent on the floor and they're not successful. Um, you have to put together the best team, which means you're going to have to recruit players that are going to play for you, point guards, wings, and post guys, whatever it is. But you have to put the best team on the floor and you have to coach them. you got to find a system that's going to work for them, that's going to get – 
everybody happy, but there's only most teams you you looking at in our EYBL league. There's three pros per team, um, so it, it all depends on what type of team you put together. But the biggest smack in the face is they don't teach kids. Just go out and play. Coaches make money. I haven't received a dime from AAU. I do this because I love to coach kids, but I want to give them opportunity. Um, and our program is over 30 years old, so we've been doing a lot right by our kids in terms of helping them. So, um, But, you know, the NCAA right now is cracking into those programs who use the rules a lot different to their advantage where they, they are making money um, to do certain things. But I know our program isn't built on that, and our principles are – you know, our goal is to help kids get scholarships. And if we win in the process, good. But, you know, the ultimate goal for us is get kids off the street um, and, and help them get an opportunity at the next level playing at the highest platform because every coach in the country is in our in our um, EYBL league. And now they've opened it up to um, where NBA scouts are starting to come in now. So, you know, the one-and-done rules are, you know, probably going to be over with. Kids going to be able to go straight to, to the league right out of um, high school now. So, hell, they don't even have to finish high school. <laughs> they can go right. overseas and play. So the game is evolving so much um, to where they're trying to give the player who who's blood, sweat, and tears, they're trying to give the player an opportunity to play at the level they want to because you go overseas and you know this, you've been over there before, kids are turning pro at the age of 16. Mm-hmm. So – we're the only country there that's not happening, and I think it's starting to happen right now. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad to be witnessing that. I wish all kids go to school. Don't get it wrong. But um, if they feel like they can turn pro, who are we to stop them, you know? so You're going to get me in trouble too because, uh, you know, I always say uh, if you could get, you know, the, the stock boy job at the grocery store and you're 18, or technically you get that at 16, but when it comes to hoops or any other – you got to wait. Now, baseball, baseball, they allow the guys to go pro. Um, you can do semi-pro early in baseball, so why not? So why should basketball be penalized? Now, I agree with football, but, Physical. yes, it, it can't take that. So, But the basketball aspects, I really feel like if they can turn pro at 15s and 16s overseas, then why can't we do it here? Yeah, it's uh, even like I think of like Kobe and KG, when they came straight out, if it was a physicality problem – they shouldn't have been able to go. And now you should be more likely to go because it's not as a physical. It's more a skill yeah, game. They're letting you play. You can't touch anybody, so you get to play. Yeah, I think regards to the platform, high school coach and AAU, I, I try to relate to – because you're from St. Louis, bigger city, and, you know, L.A., Chicago, New York can relate. But I'm talking like the smaller areas. Like, And right now, you know, in my area, we, we've done pretty well. We got three gateways. Uh, a, we actually have someone that's in your Eagles program, a couple Larry Hughes. That's pretty good. And we have a local uh, AAU program as well. But I say, when you're young, if you play for that, it's fine. But if you get the opportunity to play on a big platform and it's beneficial to you and you can do it, I always push, you know, if you got the opportunity, go ahead and try it. Why not? This will always be here for you. Uh, Last thing I want to talk about with BBE, and we'll let you get out of here. Um, When it comes to, it's a tough gig. And you mentioned that people hate, oh, no one coaches AAU. They have been to a local tournament. That's what they've been to. They haven't been to the highest level. I was around more the the Adidas circuit because of Gateway um, and EYBL, and I'm sure the Under Armour. I mean, sorry, I was with Under Armour, not Adidas because they're not Under Armour. Um, there's coaching. Right. And if you're not coaching, you will get exposed. Yes. If you got high-level kids, high-level players, you will get exposed on any level. That is not – you can go watch 
class five state championship, you can watch class one. They're them kid them kids and those coaches are giving everything they got. It's a tough gig, AAU. You get ten kids in March, basically, and now you gotta get them to buy in with you for the next three you don't, months. You don't get to practice every day. You you're doing two two to three days, and if you got out of town kids, you only practice on the weekend. So it is our job is set up the impossible way. How do you succeed with that? And you gotta have a a you have to have kids with the mentality of they know their purpose. I know what I'm here for, so the times that we're not at practice, I got to be in the gym and I got to be working individually on what I need to do to be successful with that program. Right. It takes a strong mindset to do that, man. It really does. I was just, uh, I was with uh, a high school kid down home mm-hmm. and I was telling his dad, he's got, it's it's a weird player development when you got a kid that's a high level high school and a high level uh, AAU kid too because here you are, you play your high school season. Then you make your you're on your AU team. Well, now we our development's got to change. You're not the man now. Right. You're playing off the catch more, or vice versa, right? So we do that. You go through circuit, and boom, now it's June. Okay, now we got to get back to what you do in high school. Mm-hmm. Then July comes, boom, we're back to AU, and now you're back. We're in a no-win situation, so it's hard. Like I am, and I trust me, I, I'm a high school coach. I get it, but. Even when I go back to my high school and our league, I love our league because they, our league is only 15 games. Mm-hmm. Um, then you get to July, you only playing six through the whole month of July. But for my kids go and they play AU and they come back to me, I don't want to have them do 20 games because when they go back to their high schools, they're going to team camp. They, the high school coach won his time. So we're going to play in team camp this week. We're going to play five or six games on a Saturday. Next weekend, we're going to do the same thing. And, oh, by the way, we want to get in gym. We still want to use our, what is our, 20, 20 touch days or whatever it is. Um, so, for me, it was with our guys, hey, we got Tuesday, Thursday, we get our, our 20 touch days in. We're going to play in one thing. I'm more concerned about you guys getting better than I am. Let's go continue to play games that that, that are not going to mean anything until we come back. So, you know, but, hey, you was in a bad situation because guys leave. Now you got to reel them back in because they're playing – in front of coaches versus playing at a, a local high school event or going to a school and there's nobody there, you know? So I, I just look at it and I get it from a high school coach's perspective, but I also look at it. If my kids have a chance, and you said this, if my kids have a chance to go and play on a platform, I'm not stopping them. I'll let them go. You know, we'll fix whatever we got to fix when they get back. Yeah, it's uh, it's so up and down with players leaving, coming back in. It's, I don't know how you fix it, but it's almost like, Maybe you have the – if the circuit was ending after June, mm-hmm. then you could have all circuit and then have your high school kids maybe in July and then, boom, school starts. Um, you got kids that play football and, mm-hmm. and <laughs> so many different dynamics. And and families want a vacation. So I, I do like what Nike did. We play our three sessions, come back in July. We play that one weekend. Boom, you're, you're gone. So kids get to go to camps. They get to go to AU um, – you know what? I mean, not AU. They get to go to camps. USA has their event now, so it's. I mean, the crazy thing is so much going on, and these kids really don't get downtime. And if they're playing more than one sport, I don't see how I feel bad for the kid because you don't get to rest your body, you don't get time to spend with your family. You know, you're constantly on the go. So um, I get it as a coach. I'm year round now. AU to high school, and I'm training all over the country, doing different things. Then you got USA basketball, so I'm constantly moving but i'm learning i'm getting better but 
I don't get a chance to rest for real. So uh, I'm glad to be at home right now, though. That's for sure. As, as humans, aren't we uh, – we complain when we're not busy, and then when, when we are busy, we complain. We all do. Yeah, right, right. But, uh, no, I think it's a, it's a good point. I, I tell kids, you know, if you're going to play, 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 and then not do your recovery and take your time off. It's like having a car with no oil change, not getting new tires. Like you're just gonna burn out. Um, but hey, that was awesome. Coach gave us a bunch of gems in there. Appreciate you just coming and check us out again. If you'll subscribe, like, comment, and like I said before, this podcast is all about just providing you guys value. So the more value, uh, more feedback you give me, the better value we can supply to you guys. But coach, I appreciate you coming on. Absolutely, man. Be nice to my guy. Give him some good feedback, man. I think this is a great thing. And um, anytime, man, anytime you need something, you want to stop by practice, please feel free to do so. Appreciate you guys. See you guys next time. Next time.